All righty. Well, it's good to be here tonight. And I want you to take your Bible. Turn to the book of Acts in chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Just a, a couple of thoughts that I want to give you concerning a few of these verses. And then I may change it and do something else. Go to another verse. I may do a little rambling tonight. But that's perfectly all right. In Acts chapter 17, it says there in verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I want to talk to you about an unknown God, God you don't know about, one that you ignorantly worship. But isn't that a way to win friends and influence people? You know, he's just liable to make somebody upset. He just told them that all of those things that they're doing, how stupid it was. Verse 24, God hath made the world. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Verse 26 is an interesting verse. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. It looks like God is the one that determines all the nations and he determines all the men that are born within the nation. And then he says he hath determined the times before appointed. So now you have not only determining the nations, determining the men, the times when they be born. And then he says the bounds of their habitation. So it seems like God determined who was the first man and the first woman. And then on down the line, he chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. I mean, just think of all the ones down through the ages. that God, And it appears that God's the one that determines when we were born, the nations that we were born. And it's not all just a bunch of accidents, happenstance. If any of this is true, and I believe that it is, you and I have been chosen for the time in which we live. We are in the nation that God had desired for us. Because we believe that God created us. And so in an appointed time, we arrived. Here we are. Now we just need to know what is it that God wants us to know and to do and to be at this time in our life. When you read the next verse where he makes this statement, that they should seek the Lord. So it is the will of God that God wants every person and every nation 
that he is determined at a particular time in which to be born and to live to um, know the Lord. And not only to know the Lord, it makes a statement along this line, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So regardless of what nation anyone has been born in, regardless of how many people there may be, the Lord says in his word, he's not far from anyone. Isn't that an awesome statement? Sometimes we think, well, those people are further and further and further and further and further and further away from God. America's close to God. Africa's far away from God. Not according to the Bible. You see, in every individual, God has placed eternity in their hearts. It means that everyone has the knowledge that he knows he is a sinner, knows he needs to be righteous, Knows that he's not. Knows he's going to be judged. According to the book of John chapter 16. Says that's what the Holy Spirit does. Convicting the world. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Convicts the world. The message that we have to reach the people. That want to know truth. See God can do wonderful, marvelous things in our midst. But when you read the book of Romans in chapter 10, it says, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. In other words, it's not like people have to make a trip through the heavens and through the stars and the galaxies to try to find God up there somewhere. Because God came here. So we don't have to find him there, we can find him here. And that's why the story that we have been given to tell is the most exciting story in the world. It's all wrapped up in that story of the gospel. So God has given us a, a wonderful life to live. We don't know how long we're going to live. But whenever you see that verse 26 and verse 27... It appears that if God determined the nations and the people and all that, it is the will of God that they find him. You know, that's the most important thing mentioned in that verse 27. There is an unknown God, and we should find him. This unknown God. So that means there's a God that has revealed himself. And so Jesus Christ is the revelation of of the invisible God. You know there's. Um, this is Acts 17. But look in John 17. Sometimes it just seems like certain chapters. Just go together. But John 17 is a chapter in which. Jesus Christ. Is praying. To his father. It's what we consider. The real Lord's prayer. And there's a statement that is made in here that can be a little puzzling. Because you wonder, why would Jesus say such a thing? He's talking to his father. He's talking to him about his disciples. And he makes this statement in verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is a life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. As he prays the prayer, it comes across as though it's a finished job. He's already on the other side of the cross. But he hasn't finished the job yet. But yet he knows he's going to. The Father knows what the Son's going to do. Here he is on this side of the cross before he dies, thanking the Lord, the hour is come, it's like a done deal, and everything's wrapped up, and I did the job, and blah, 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 blah. Then he says, so glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so he says in verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world began. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given thee or given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. That phrase, I pray not for the world, bothered me. I pray for these. I pray not for the world. We pray for the world. We seek the lost for God's wisdom, the right things to say. Why did he say, I pray not for the world? And I guess as you read further, you can understand more, but I believe that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We know that his brother... Later on, you know, James talks about how the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he used illustrations of Old Testament prophets. I wondered why he didn't use Jesus as one of the examples of a man who was in fervent prayer. Remember when he was in the garden, he prayed great sweat drops of blood. You couldn't get more fervent than that. He prayed to his father. He says, I pray not for the world. Had he prayed for the world, they might not have crucified him, I don't know. Maybe it depends on which side of the cross he was on. But why wouldn't he pray for the world? Did not he care for the world? Isn't that the reason he came? And then he makes a statement. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, 
that these are in the world. I am now no more in the world. He hadn't died yet. So he was still in the world. But he prays as though he's not in the world. And what he was praying for concerning his disciples and the unity that they would have, the world can't be a part of that. He can't pray that the world will be a part of this. They must, first of all, believe on the Lord just like everybody else. There's things that we do, like for the Lord's Supper. We open it up to anyone who's trusted Christ as their Savior. But is it for the world? Is it for the lost? No. There's some things that belong to God's children, and there's some things that doesn't belong. So maybe there's a, a context here that helps to reveal. So as you go down through here, he talks a little bit about this old world in which we live. And then he says there in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. But see, the world is not of the truth. The world doesn't love Christ. The world doesn't love God. The world doesn't love his children. He says, I am not of this world. And so, in verse 18, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. See, you don't send the world into the world. So concerning his prayer about why he did not pray for the world, because he's praying to the Father for the children, his disciples, to reach the world, as you'll see. So he says there in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So he's talking about the ones that are going to be reached in the world through their word. So he does pray for the world, but he's praying that the world will be reached by those he's praying for. He also makes the statement there in verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. It's the love and the unity of God's children that God wants as the drawing mechanism, that magnet, along with the power of the gospel to draw the world. To draw the world. So he prays for the world, but it's indirectly. You see, the key is if we can keep God's people close to the Lord, loving the Lord like they should love the Lord, we'll reach the lost. But you can pray for the lost, but if God's people have no love, not going to be done. But look what else he says. He makes a statement in verse 23, I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know, that the world may know that thou hast sent me as thou lovest them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may Behold my glory, which thou hast given me. 
For thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known me, but I've known thee. These have known that thou hast sent me. So now he says, as the Father hath sent me into the world, even so send I you. You know what I like to do at times? Especially when I don't really feel too good. I fill the bathtub up as full as I can. As hot as I can stand it. And sometimes I'll close the curtain so that I sweat like crazy. Then I lay back in that tub. And I don't have my hearing aids in. And I sing. Now some people like to sing in the shower. But I love to sing in the tub. Now if I had a tub in here, I would get in the tub. I'd pull the curtain. But sometimes when you're sitting in the tub and the, the thing's closed, uh, your voice sounds different and so you, you sing with more sincerity and you'd be surprised how easy it is to cry. You ever cry when you're singing? Not because it sounds so good. But because the words have such deep meaning to them. And you're finally getting quiet and you're listening to what you're singing. You know, sometimes we just sing songs to sing songs. And we're not thinking about sometimes the words that we're singing. I heard this song for the first time about 1964. Dr. Charles Weigel. He wrote the song, and he sung the song when he was 92 years old. That's why when I sing it, I sing like the man that was 92 years old. If you know parts of it or the chorus, help me out. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true, I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as He. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. 
Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me. And he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as He. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much He cared for me. Oh, how much He cared for me. That's enough for that, I guess. Did you know right now, I'm as weak as I can be, but I am as happy as I can be. I really am. I am so happy that the Lord is so good, and I'm so glad to be able to be here, and so glad just to serve the Lord. I'm not sure if everything I do meets muster, but sometimes I don't really care. I just don't care. I guess you get that away when you're not feeling good and you're taking medicine, huh? Sometimes you get a little bit more sentimental. And I was sitting at the couch last night, and Betty, she sat down beside me, and she says, Somebody called this afternoon. I said, oh. She says, and I just started crying. I said, why? I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes you can't explain it. You just know that you serve a wonderful God. You don't have to see how God is going to get you through anything. You just know that he will and that his grace is sufficient. I don't know how I got off my message. I was somewhere in Acts 17 and John 17. So this is Yankee 17. This end represents you and me. The wallet represents all the things that we do that's wrong. The Bible says that God loves us says he loves the whole world. Yes, he even loves the lost. And he prays that his children, he prays for us, those that would believe that we would reach the world. What a prayer. Just knowing that is enough to motivate you, want to do something. But God says that he loves us, hates what we do wrong. But to pay for this sin is eternal separation from God in a literal fire burning hell. But he loves us. He wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, we have to be perfect, and no one's perfect. No one's righteous. No one's good enough. That's why God had to send his son into the world. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God's son, born of a virgin, took upon flesh, being made a man without any sin. He took all the sins of the world and paid for it on the cross. 
came back from the dead and said that if we would believe he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what he did. That's the best news in all the world. If I offered you my wallet and you accept it, you would have an empty wallet. But if I offered you the microphone and you accept, you'd have a microphone. If Christ came in here and offered you eternal life and you accepted it, you would have the free gift of eternal life. And if it's eternal life, it lasts forever. And if it lasts forever, and he said, I'll never cast you out and I'll never lose you, then, friend, you can know that you have eternal life and know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. That's the best news in the world. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here in the auditorium or watching by internet, understand that God so loved the world. That's you and that's me. That he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross to pay for our sins. And says that whosoever, anyone, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Would you believe he did it for you? Would you trust him? See, God knows who you are, knows where you are, knows what you've done, knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. But would you trust Christ as your Savior? Would you accept God's free gift of eternal life? If you will, God said he would save you. And you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. If you're making that decision, I'm going to ask you if you'll just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down. Is there anyone at all? Say, yes, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ as my Savior. I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die. Anyone at all before we close? Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. A little different perhaps tonight, but it's okay. There's all of the things that we can learn. And I pray your blessings upon each person here. And we pray, Father, for those that are not feeling too good, that you'd heal their bodies and raise them up to good, strong health. Walk us through all of this that we need to go through. Help us to learn lessons that we need to learn. Help us always remember that these bodies are frail. They don't last forever. But, Father, the things that we do for Christ will last. We thank you so much in Christ's name. Amen.